This podcast is sponsored by Oasis Aqua Lounge. Join our online community of sex-positive swingers and individuals looking to make connections while we are all stuck at home. We host events seven days a week and have hundreds of active members to meet and mingle with. Head to members.oasisaqualounge.com to join the party today. Hello and welcome to Sex News with Ray. I'm your host, Ray, and today we're joined for the last time by the effervescent Lady Pim, (laughs) professional dominatrix and host of the Bedpost podcast. Well, effervescent this time, my goodness. I mean, I could come up with, should I, should I have said something like, uh, um, the intimidating, the, uh, powerful, like that, the, uh, the almighty, the almighty. Yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) Clearly. I don't know what to call a Dom. I love it. I love it. Call me anything just as long as you call me. Yeah. Yeah. Today in sex news, we're actually going to do another double article because I found two on today's topic and I couldn't choose which one I liked more and they're both shorter. Cool. So I was like, you know what? We're just going to do two. Let's do it. Article number one, stop enforcing sex work laws during COVID-19, amnesty and sex worker advocates say. It's from the CBC on July 4th, 2020. And I'm going to summarize it very briefly. Canada's sex work laws are creating undue harm and contribute to human rights violations, especially during COVID-19, according to sex worker and human rights advocates. Amnesty International Canada has joined a number of rights and sex worker advocates asking for a moratorium on the prostitution laws. The reason for this is they don't have access to government income supports, but are still criminalized if they work because of the way that Mm. CERB was being handed out. Sex workers were and continue to be ineligible for emergency income supports. And the way the laws are formed leads workers to remain undocumented and their incomes undeclared, which means they also couldn't apply for employment insurance. Middle-class Canadians who lost their jobs are getting access to income supports, but sex workers are being helped by charities giving out gift cards. <laughs> yeah, like actually, there's charities who are trying to, like local community charities were coming together and trying to get donations, but because they can't pay cash to people, they had to give out things like grocery store gift cards, like Ron Buns. Sorry, the PALS trading oh. zone. Um, so yeah. <laughs> for those who are unfamiliar, the PALS trading zone is a currency-free trading zone, but that doesn't mean But some people don't need anything. They just need groceries. You'll give them value dollar grocery gift cards. So. Or relying on like local community sex worker relief funds. Like yeah. those go around as well because it's needed in this area. So it's like the sex worker communities binding together and like right. distributing funds as best as possible, but all based on like... Uh, community outreach, like public donations. When none of the sex workers are working, then like, where's that money coming from? Yeah, exactly. Here's a quote. The $100 grocery cards that dictate where sex workers or people who don't have income should shop or get their groceries is an extremely paternalistic response to people who actually need income supports. The article then continues to say further marginalization is going to lead to more inequality. And Bill C-36 is currently up for review and activists are hoping the government just ends the bill. So that's number one. Yes, totally. Anybody that wants to like pay me in Amazon gift cards, I get that request a lot. Do you accept payment with Amazon gift cards? I'm like, can I pay my rent with my within an Amazon gift card? No, I cannot. So no, I do not accept them. Right. And there's only so, so often like, I mean, I once again, it's not I'm not a sex worker. So someone wants to give me an Amazon gift card. Great. I'll say yes, because it's not my primary income. That's not if someone's like, right. here's a present. Yes. Great. Yeah. But yeah. For sex workers. It is. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's your job. OK, so the second article is called Strippers Advocacy Group Seeks Judicial Review of Ontario Strip Club Closure. It's from CP24, October 26, 2020. We're currently recording November uh, 12th for those of you who 
are going to listen to this in like three months. Anyway, um, so this was actually fairly recently, just a month ago. And it says, advocacy group representing Ontario strippers called WorkSafe TwerkSafe is asking a judge to declare closure of all strip clubs in response to COVID-19 unconstitutional. Basically, when the government started closing things down, like saying, okay, restaurants need to limit their hours that they're open, um, or saying that gyms need to be closed if it's indoor workouts, they also just arbitrarily shut down all strip clubs. They closed them. There was no reduced hours. There was no safe dancing in the cage bubble. It was just, oh, you're closed. Yeah. So it says the group and its court filings references media coverage of COVID-19 outbreaks at two Toronto strip clubs in August and September that preceded the September 26th shutdown announced by Premier Doug Ford. The document says restaurants and bars were experiencing COVID-19 outbreaks at the time, but media coverage allegedly sensationalized the two strip club outbreaks and triggered the province's response. Because horophobia. Yeah, which I'm going to get you to define in one second. Strippers were not consulted ahead of time (laughs) on the measures taken or their thoughts on occupational health and safety. All right, that's actually a good place to start. Lady Pym, what is horophobia? Tell our listeners. Yeah, it's prejudiced hatred towards sex workers, essentially. So that's exactly what happened with bars and restaurants. Even more recent than that, they decided to keep bars and restaurants open, but closed strip clubs down at one point. So there was very different messaging coming. It's like, well, if you're going to keep bars and restaurants open, then keep strip clubs open. If you're going to... shut down strip clubs, then you should be shutting down bars and restaurants. Right. So there was the same type of contact uh, and risk factor was going to be happening in these two spaces, yet they were coming up with different legislature for each of those. It's, It's because of the stigma of sex workers are dirty. Right. And sex work is dirty. You don't think people in bars and nightclubs and restaurants are like, when they're drunk, gonna be having that mask down on their, you know, hugging up, uh, snuggling up on each other, like going home together, yet like a stripper doing a disc lap dance is not okay. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, well, if I, I was thinking about realistically when I've been to bars, even or clubs, and actually I haven't been to clubs because why would I go to a club during COVID? That's like saying, hello, I'm signing up <laughs> yeah. for a super spreader event. But I've like, I have been to a strip yes. club one time <laughs> with my mother we don't talk about it. It was awkward. It was supposed to be like the Chippendales and it was not. I would love to be a fly on the wall for that evening out. We Our birthdays are three days apart. And I think it was like my my like 19th birthday, my 21st birthday, something. Cra- no, I think oh my 19th goodness, birthday. Oh my goodness, wow. It was a crazy time. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, no. Okay, so the idea being that we were trying to get a fun experience and it was just not our jam. But I could easily imagine right. a social distance safe way for us to have had that experience, right? Like if the person's on Definitely. the stage... Then you are seated six you feet apart from, yep, you are in your seat the whole time. You don't yeah. potentially get private lap dances at all. You mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. understand that you're tipping them for the show they're going to put on on stage. Or if they do, they maybe helicopter at you from six feet away. So that would be obviously with a male stripper. But like, you know, for a woman, same thing. <laughs> just, I don't know, tassel, titty tassels from from six feet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm making shit up. But long story short is that like that would be very easy to do social distance safely. But yeah. a club... Like people are not, they go to dance and be with each other. So why would you close down exactly. a strip club before you close down a club? That's the contradiction, right? So yeah, if you take this in the context of the first article, the idea being that these workers are not eligible for government support, the government basically said, none of yes. you get to work. And by the way, none of you get any money now. Yeah, exactly. 
So like one or the other, like you can't do both. It's just further perpetuating this like horror phobia. Okay. So you're telling us we can't work. We want to work. We want to, we want to work safely. We want our clubs to be implementing safe COVID precautions. All of these things we want to be happening and you're not allowing access. And then you're shutting us down. And once again, you're not allowing us access to an emergency fund of any kind. So once again, we're, it's just, they're being othered right? Like you don't matter. You do not even matter because of the job you do. I'm in very sex positive circles on my Twitter and social media uh, purposefully. But you know, anytime there was like an article that, like you said, there were a couple outbreaks here in Toronto at strip clubs. It was one woman who spread it to a bunch of people. It wasn't one strip club where COVID was being spread. It was one person. And because she happened to be a stripper, then that extra layer of, oh, well, they should have known better than seeing that dirty stripper, right? It wasn't even the other strippers in that building. It was just one. Yeah, for sure. Like any other job or workplace where like, you know, the clerk at Loblaws had symptoms a couple days later. So now there's contact tracing happening and there is an outbreak, but that's accepted, but it's not accepted when this happens at a strip club. Yeah. I was just saying, I'm, I'm like so reminded of like the whore phobia that happens. Like, cause I usually surround myself with like really sex positive in sex positive circles. So like I'd go off of sex work Twitter to read an article about an outbreak happening at a strip club. And then you read those comments and they're just so terrible. And are we getting those comments? Like when there's an outbreak at a grocery store or a bar or a restaurant? No, we're not. Could you give an example of the kind of comment you'd get in a sex positive space versus the kind of comment you get when you leave it? Like, well, serves them right. You know, like people are basically being like, well, yeah, they deserve it because like, how could they think they could not they could not get COVID. I mean, hateful stuff. Yeah. Like people are just, you know, the people are using slurs. It's, it's like, it was out of hand. I'm like, wow, I'm really happy. I don't like follow regular, <laughs> like conservative platforms. Cause it's, it's sent me in a spiral. That's for sure. It's just reading them. I think it's interesting how, what one person considers an essential service to them. They assume that everyone will have the same feelings about what is essential. Now mm-hmm. I'm not saying that a strip club is essential And we're not saying that a bar or a club is essential, but the point being that they're all in the same category. So you don't get to judge someone for going to one place that's not an essential service and judge someone going to another place that is not an essential service. They're in the same category. Yeah. Human needs are like to be social, you know, Mm -hmm. to be touched, like physical touch is as we're all realizing this year, it's a real, it's a real need. Right. And I'm also not saying that sex work is like an essential service, but I have found through doing online work, how people are struggling, like really struggling with not able to have access to, to sex, to touch, to intimate touch, to hugging, to all of those things. Like it's really quite devastating. And depending on what your baseline is mental health wise, it can be dangerous. Right. That's the truth. So, And we've been talking about, well, not me, you and I, but we as a society are now talking about something called Zoom fatigue. Right. Yeah. The idea that when you're on Zoom meetings for so long, you're exhausted because you're not actually getting your social needs met through it. Yeah. You're not getting the energy of being in the same room as another person. And I've been to a few Zoom birthday parties that honestly were just like, why did you do this to us? Right. Like we are talking over each other. We're not actually getting the social 
thing that we need from this conversation that you would normally get by going to a big party. Yeah, the virtual interaction is great for a lot of reasons, but it also doesn't satisfy a lot of these like base desires and needs in a lot of ways as well. Both thankful for it and both just yeah. <laughs> also realizing that it's not quite the same. Yeah, when we plan Oasis events, our, our rule for me, when we do just like mm -hmm. a once a week event, one hour of a scheduled activity and then people can stay on and do what they want after, but you do not force people to sit through someone else talking for longer than an hour. That's just not totally a nice thing to do to people that you claim to care about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unless it's some sort of kink session where you really like watching a person suffer, then yes. But like, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I feel you. I've taught some online workshops, a bunch of online workshops throughout this time. And I'm purposefully just trying to be like super interactive and fun and trying to be so engaged. I know it's so hard to to focus. I see you sitting alone in a room staring at your computer, right? Yeah. I really try to make it as painless as possible. Yeah. If the government is going to get rid of your job and then also say, by the way, you are not eligible for money, what are you supposed to do? Starve? Like... I mean, that that directly describes exactly what happened to me. I could no longer do sessions in the dungeon because the dungeon was shut down. I couldn't apply for CERB. If I did, I'd be rejected. So I'm like, I'm just going to not. And I tried to pivot my business online. I was very lucky. I mean, lucky, but also that the privilege thing for sure allowed me to have success pivoting my business online. But I already had a big established online presence. You know, I had a lot of the bones set up already, like the skeleton mm -hmm. to make this potentially successful for myself. So that I was very lucky in that way. But that for sure is not the way every sex worker could do it at all. Yeah. A lot of sex workers just don't have the desire to be on Twitter literally all day long hustling. It takes a lot. It's a lot more work. Different skills, too. Everyone assumes that if you're a young person, you're good at social media marketing. Yeah. But to be successful online, you need to be good at social media marketing. And by the way, I hate Correct. social media marketing. And I absolutely... Everybody does. I hate that it's an expectation that we all not only know it, but be good at it. I know a very bare minimum yeah. amount of it, no matter how hard I try. Like, I'm not going to be great at social media marketing. It's just not what I'm good at. Yeah. And... I was reading an article about how so many people are now on OnlyFans because of COVID. And there's no studies, once again, comparing how many of those people were already sex workers who are now on OnlyFans because that was their only option. And how many are just your average person who was like, fuck it, fuck society. I'm just going to post my nudes on the internet and make money off of it if I can. Like, there's no... Yeah, because I need money too. Yeah, there's literally been no one looking at like what made someone join OnlyFans versus not? And was it COVID? Were they already sex workers? Yeah. And then you tie in SESTA-FOSTA, making it hard to advertise services online, and you're fucked. Yeah, and it's suddenly not as easy as everyone assumes it is. <laughs> you know, post nude pictures, get bigger reward, a big return, you know? It's, it's... Anytime someone says being a sex worker or making money off your naked body on the internet is so easy, I just want them, I'm like, have you tried it? 
because if it was so, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm, you know, like you'll hear people say like, oh, I'm tired of my job. I'm just going to start selling my panties. I'm like, you do understand that that kind of client work is a full-time job and you do end up with a lot of your time wasted by people who will never commit with money. Most of your time. Yeah. If you <laughs> think it's easy, you just find some people who are willing to buy your panties. How do you think you find those people? You have to build up a persona. You have to market that persona. You have to make sure that these people are legitimate. You have mm-hmm. to brand. You have to post consistently you have to have screening procedures you have to get back to people in a reasonable amount of time like you literally have to be on your phone all day long i i think we're all realizing now because more people can work from home how valid you know all that time energy and the hours put in at home is right like work wise like it's work i'm on my phone 10 hours a day and that is work yeah i'm sitting in my pajamas on the couch perhaps but it is work and it's a lot of work. It's hard work. Well, everyone is sitting so. on the couch in their pajamas while they're doing work now. Everyone is now in the same boat. Exactly. And that and that's what I'm saying. Now we're realizing that that's work. They're like, okay, yeah, I feel like I'm just here on my phone. But it's like, that is, that a, is work. a big part of the job. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So those hours that I spent on TikTok are actually just me doing research. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm realizing. Okay. Yeah. So. Maybe though. Maybe though, right? <laughs> theoretically let's say someone doesn't have the privilege they didn't have the skeletons they're not good at social media marketing they just don't understand how to market themselves and it's just not going it's just not a thing that they're doing so now they have no government support no income they weren't able to pivot online because of whatever reasons they have for it right so what they move back in with their parents what if their parents aren't even around like What if their parents also don't have jobs? What if it's a family of sex workers where it's been generations of sex workers and none of them are eligible for government? So I feel like there's just this assumption that your parents will take care of you in these scenarios and that will be fine. But I know people whose parents can't work because of COVID now. Or you're a sex worker and your parents don't agree with the fact that you're a sex worker. So you've distanced yourself from your parents and you can't exactly go crawling to your parents now. Like how toxic for you to live in that household, that sex worker negative household, right? So there aren't a lot of options is the thing. Yeah. And I mean, just like Sesta Fossa we talked about in the last episode, drove sex workers back to the streets because they couldn't operate online anymore. In the same way, COVID kind of drove more sex workers into into in-person work, potentially. If you don't have the skills to do it online and you are really struggling financially, you need to make money. So you're going to continue doing in-person sex work despite the risk factor throughout a pandemic because you need to find money somewhere. And even in a pandemic, there's always going to be a market for it. You're going to still get clients, especially since a lot of sex workers are on hiatus from in-person work right now. So the demand is there. And I know plenty of sex workers who have worked throughout this whole time. And, you know, you try your best with precautions and uh, new COVID procedures. but And people are going to people are going to take that risk for themselves. For, definitely. 100%. Because, again, depending on, you know, how essential a service is sex work. Well, for some people, it can be a really vital part of their self-care, especially if it's such a stressful time as a pandemic. That could be something that's like very, very important to someone right now to maintain their mental health. So are they going to go to a sex worker? Of course they are. If, But also if everyone that you would normally go to is saying like, 
sorry, I can't. It's COVID. You're not in my bubble. Then you're going to find someone yeah. if this is something that you really want to do. Like, I, this is not coming from a, a place of judgment on the person who would be willing to not buy sex. I want to add if you or for the sex worker that is continuing to do in-person work throughout the pandemic. Not at all. Yeah, this is. And let's be honest, even if it's not for your mental health and you just wanted to have sex and it's COVID and you hire a sex worker, like, I don't care. I'm not going to tell you how to live your best pandemic life. That's not for me to say for that's not for me to tell anyone what to do. But the point being that that is a totally. choice. The reality is that is a choice people are still making. Definitely. I mean, that is a choice people are making, like, regardless of including sex work or not. Like, people are still, hookup culture is still happening. Oh, yeah. And you don't know these people. So, like, we can't really cast judgment on them, can we? Because maybe somebody is doing this literally because it's dangerous for them not to. And I mean, there are, I'm sure there are people out there also just kind of just not being considerate of people who they come in contact with. They're, those people exist for sure. Yeah. But I really do believe that this is like a, a important need right now, especially like as, as the months roll on and on and on, I'm judging people less and less for being like, I had to go and like hook up with whomever right. who's not in my bubble like I'm gonna be less and less judgmental of that as time goes on because it's hard man I'm gonna summarize it for myself as I don't know your life you know yes I don't know your life so if you wanted to go see a sex worker whether or not it was for a good reason or whatever you think a bad reason like I don't care the point being here that sex workers are still going to work but if you want to make yeah. it so that they don't need to do in-person sex work, then there needs to be government supports the way that there would be for literally anyone else in our society. 100%. That's well it. Well done. Yep. And I I just, if you want it to make society safer during COVID, you need to make it possible for people to say no to in-person work. And I don't think the government has done that in general. Not at all. As a whole. Not just for sex work. I mean, I know that they recently switched from CERB to CRB, but there's also a bit of confusion over people on EI versus CRB, CERB. Like, they're not making it easy. We should just switch over to minimum income and call it a life. Yeah, but I mean, this goes right back to, like, it just needs to be decriminalized because, like, regardless of whether it's CERB or CRB or EI... Or EI Sex workers are not applying for that shit because they're not of eligible. the stigma of sex worker. We're not even going to take the chance of being on the radar. Yeah. So we're not going to apply. We're not even going to think that that's something that we could possibly take advantage of. Well, because the truth is you can't. Yeah. As as much as like there's been a few little things that have come out that like maybe some sex workers can apply for this thing. We're not. Nobody is because we don't fucking trust it. Because we know that you don't want us to exist. So we're going to hide. Yeah. I feel like this conversation kind of spiderwebbed a little and then came back in. But uh, I'm proud of us for covering so many different facets in such a short amount of time. So much ground. Like, we're like, where do we even start with this one? We could go anywhere. And on that note, we're probably going to go into a commercial break unless you had any last thoughts that you wanted to share. I don't think so. Let's break, baby. Okay, break. Hey everyone, it's your girl Ray, and I'd like to present to you Power Move, my latest latex collection and short fashion film for this new collection. I'm super excited about this project because it combines body positivity, latex, kickboxing, and fashion. Unfortunately, the pandemic messed with my income as well as many others, so I've launched a Kickstarter to help support the cost of the film. I would love it if you could share the word or consider supporting me. Head to kickstarter.com and look up Power Move. All right, welcome back, everyone. It's time for listener questions. And I'm sure, like me, you are tired of hearing about trafficking and SESTA-FOSTA 
and COVID. You're tired. You're just so tired of this all the time. It's just a sad world we live in. You yourself want to put away your phone and stop reading the news. And so today's listener question comes from someone who is not asking about sex work at all. And I'm so excited to hear your answer on this, Lady Pim. Are you ready? Me too. (laughs) I'm excited to hear the question. (laughs) Hi, Ray and Lady Pim. If your kid has a fetish, how can a parent best deal with that information to be the best parent they can be? Sincerely, I forgot to give them a pseudonym. I don't remember if they cared about a pseudonym, (laughs) but they sincerely pseudonym Yep. Yeah, no, I thought this would be a lot of fun to hear from you. If your kid has a fetish, how can a parent best deal with that information to be the best parent they can be? I actually get a lot of, I get a variation on this from both people who had a fetish growing up and their parents didn't handle it well, or someone currently is an adult with a fetish who wants their kid to grow up not feeling the way they did. So I get variations of this question a lot. So I'd love to hear what you say. Yeah, just to try to be as, uh, create as safe an environment as possible for to have these conversations. Just to try to be as shame-free, as judgment-free as possible. Do a lot of active listening with them. Try not to insert your opinion too early in this. Like, let them talk, let them talk it out. Ensure that there's going to be open communication surrounding this if, if they so choose. Giving them some helpful resources rather than like them getting lost on the internet into some like untrustworthy resources. So giving them that, I mean, normalizing is big. Let them know that they're not alone and that this is fine and it's natural to feel these things just as long as you're engaging in consent practices. Like I for sure would talk about consent as early as possible, even when it's not connected with sex stuff with partners. I talk about masturbation. I mean, also, I'm not a parent. So take this with a grain of salt. Like I haven't actually had children and taught them about kink. But if I think about what I wish to have been taught when I was a young adult is that I could masturbate and I mean, I would have loved to go to a sex shop with my mom, quite honestly, (laughs) and uh, talked about how that wasn't a shameful thing that I could do. And that wasn't something that I needed somebody else. Like I needed to jump into something else rashly to achieve certain feelings. I mean, other than like giving them the tools to process this, there are lots of great kink books out there and written from a variety of perspectives. So if you went and got a hold of like some really kink 101 books, that would be just like some good building blocks for them to kind of start exploring this in a healthy way that didn't harm another individual, basically. Yeah. I'm assuming in this moment you have found out that your kid has a particular fetish also, right? Like if your kid has a fetish... right. You have found out. You understand now. Maybe you saw them experimenting with something. You caught them looking at some very interesting porn or something like that. I think that if you were doing the best practices as discussed in season one of ongoing conversations around consent and sex in general, yeah, um, you don't need to necessarily talk with your kid about what they like about the fetish because that's creepy and weird and I would not want to do that with my parents. But more mm-hmm. like, oh, is there danger associated with this fetish or kink? Exactly. How can we make sure that if you are going to be experimenting with this, you are not putting yourself or others in danger? Are there best safety practices? Do you know what they are? 
tie it into the conversation on how porn is not reality. Because if you're looking at porn with this, you're not seeing all of the setup and safety and the people on standby with fire extinguishers and safety scissors. And and the negotiation beforehand yeah. and the aftercare after. Yeah, you're not seeing any of that. Yeah, I would say, if anything, the same way that you would get someone a book on like consent, you could probably get, same thing, a book or have a conversation around safety. Definitely. And if you yourself are not the person to have that conversation, there's lots of excellent resources online that you could literally just Google like how to do blank safely. Mm -hmm. Your kid might not be able to be on FetLife because they're under 18. But that doesn't mean you can't go on FetLife, get into the forums on different kinks and learn best practices from someone else. There is a story in the Toronto yeah. community of someone who is doing solo play with a back bed and they suffocated to death. Mm. Right. And best practices yeah. for back bed play are you never do it alone. Back bed is a latex. You literally vacuum seal yourself in, in rubber and you have a tube to breathe out of or your head comes out the top. But the idea being that like you you can suffocate and die like this person did. Yeah. So the person who was the partner of the person who died will occasionally be on latex forums. And when she sees people talking about engaging in that play again or even doing solo play in it, she will make sure to come in and be like, let me tell you a story because this is not how you do this safely. This is how you do it safely. And so FetLife is actually an amazing resource. FetLife.com, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. FetLife.com is like fetish Facebook. It's basically people have profiles. They'll probably never associate their face with most of them. But it's for kinksters to go and find other people, talk about their kinks, get in the community, uh, make friends, make play partners. I think I have never found a play partner off of FetLife, but I've heard that it happens. Nor have I. I get client requests there. I don't know. It's not a dating platform. Some people try and treat it like one. Yes, but it is not. Yeah. It isn't. It's really much more like a community space. And treating it like a community space with all those forums, you can find out a lot of information. Definitely. That you would otherwise not necessarily get. And you're getting it from people who are engaging in that play and frequently know best practices and are trained doms. Some of the people are people who just like to choke women and call themselves doms. Uh, don't listen to that them, too. but, uh, <laughs> so yeah. beware. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say like FetLife is honestly an amazing resource that is frequently overlooked because of the dating app persona that some people have of it. But also like the, the owner of FetLife is also questionable. I did not know that. Oh yeah. So it's a good platform, but also I'm not so into supporting FetLife. Fair. I did way. not know that. Well, I get, I think part of the difficulty yeah. is it's so hard to find that big of a community anywhere else unless you know where to look. Like FetLife is the Definitely. biggest international website for it. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. One thing I did recently that was really amazing is during one of my episodes on my podcast, I put out a call like to young people that listen to my podcast. I'm like, I would love to think that young people listen to this. I was on that episode. Yeah. I that was I my episode. It. Yeah. <laughs> I would really love to think that young people are listening. I really do have you in mind when I curate my content. So holler at me if you're a young listener. And I shared with you a lovely email I got back from a person that had started listening when they were like 18 and now they're 22. And they're like, yeah, what a great resource, like for me growing up and like for me to just be exposed to other types of ways of doing yeah. things. You know what I mean? I love yeah, that. Send your kid some podcasts by like the Bedpost podcast or the Savage Love cast or yeah. Sex Out Loud or uh, I don't know, maybe not Call Her Daddy. That one's fun, but you got to be a bit more mature to to really understand that one <laughs> as the occasional satire that it is. But like the point yeah. being that there's yeah. there's um, a lot of places that you can get information on fetishes. Let's say you yourself have a fetish and now you find out your kid has a fetish. Do not overshare your personal experiences. Do not talk about your oh, yeah. fetishes with them. Do not talk about what you want because 
nobody wants to talk about the sex their parents are having. That can actually be probably pretty traumatizing because then if it happens to be a genetic fetish, every time you think about doing it, you might also then think of your parent. Potentially, that would be creepy and weird. That's going to ruin it for Yeah, that would be... (laughs) I like to say creepy (laughs) and weird because, you know, judgment-free zone, except when it's creepy and weird. So um, I would say, like, try and be a resource connector. Try and make sure that you're focusing on safety. Try and make sure you're focusing on consent and healthy places to experience that fetish as opposed to putting on your own judgments and your own opinions. Well said. And I think it's okay. It's okay to tell your kid, like, I am a kinkster. Leave it vague. Sure. You could be like, oh, I am also involved in the scene and I hope to never see you there at the same party as me. Goodbye. Right? Like, (laughs) we're going to have separate circles. Thank you. (laughs) Totally. Any last words for our listeners? It's your last episode. Any last words at all? I know. I mean, I can't believe it's the end already. I have had such a lovely time talking with you. I think you did such a great job curating these episodes and finding all the articles and everything for it. I really appreciated all the research you did into it so that I could come here without having done any background work and just talk about my lived experience with everything. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Did you enjoy the articles? (laughs) Thank you, Ray. Or at least the summaries of the articles? I did. I did. And I love how you like chose certain ones that would like incite, you know, certain conversations and certain feelings as well. I feel like also there's it's, it's finding that right balance between an article that will introduce a topic for people who don't know what it is and have never heard of it. But if you have heard of it, yeah, what's something that's interesting and new that we haven't talked about it yet? Because this is not I want people who are inexperienced and experienced to both feel like they they are learning or at least interested in the content. Yeah, love that. I think you did that for sure. Thank well you. Done. I always love talking to you. This has been wonderful. Oh, Ray Pick at you. say, let's continue to podcast together forever on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> All right. So I guess that's it for Lady Pim. Where can they find you? That's it. I'm on Twitter at the Lady Pim One. I'm on Instagram at the Lady Pim. Uh, you can email me anything like inquiries about domination bookings, ladypim at protonmail.com. Bunch of times we've brought up my podcast, so it is the Bedpost Podcast on any uh, podcasting app, wherever you find fine podcasts. I feel like if you're on someone else's podcast and you don't even promote your own podcast, what are you even doing? <laughs> I think I forgot to say it in at least one of the episodes we did here together. Good thing so. we said it now. <laughs> yes, so I'm saying it now. <laughs> you can follow this podcast, the one you're currently listening to, at Sex News with Ray on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can submit a listener question through sharewithray.com slash podcast or email sexnewswithray at gmail.com. You can follow me at Wife Bay Ray on Instagram and TikTok and Razor Latex on Instagram, OnlyFans, and Patreon. This podcast is engineered and produced by Dave Meisner and is hosted at sexnewswithray.podbean.com. Theme music by Blank and Brilliance. A special thank you to Blue Microphones Photography for our logo is by Dolly Shots Photography. Have a great day, everyone. Bye, everyone.